My name is Zach, as I said earlier, and we've been in a series called Jesus is Greater Than Religion. How many of you guys have enjoyed the series so far? And I really want to do this real quick before we start. Um, this doesn't happen to me often, um, but as I was really just praying for us this morning, I really just sensed that God really wants to do something special this morning. And I believe that every single Sunday, but I also believe that God just, I, there are some people here for the first time, or maybe the third time, fifth time, or the hundredth time, whatever it is. I believe some of you guys are just right on that precipice of really seeing a breakthrough in your life. And some of you are asking God that question, like, God, when's it going to happen? When am I going to experience freedom? When am I going to experience joy? When am I going to experience peace? And I really believe that God wants to offer that to many of you this morning. But I'm also very aware that there is a real enemy that wants to keep you chained, that wants to keep you down, that wants to keep you at the bottom. So if you're here this morning and you're saying, listen, I want that freedom. I want to experience that joy. I want to experience that peace. I am tired of my past defining me. I am tired of living through all this stuff. I just need to encounter Jesus. Can we do this this morning? Just every head bowed, every eye closed in here. If that's you in here, say, God, I need to experience your presence. I need to experience your power. I need to experience your joy. If that's you, would you just slip your hand up this morning? That's what I thought. Many of you, many of you in here this morning. Father God, I just pray that this morning, that this would be so much more than a church service. God, we've become so good at repetition. We've become so good at just pulling off Sunday mornings, God, that so many times we forget that you're actually here with us. And God, we ask you today, God, that you would speak to us. God, we ask you today that you would break down barriers, that you would break down walls, God, that you would rid us of past guilt and shame. And God, that you would take control of our hearts. God, that you would be our delight, that you would be our joy. God, I pray for those that are just struggling, God, with this past mistakes. God, those are struggling with religion. God, I've got to do this to get free, or I've got to do this to get to Jesus. God, I pray that they would understand that today, if they just put their hope and their trust and their belief in you, God, that they are set free. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. Well, last week, we covered... um, three different things. And so what I want to do, if you weren't here with us last week, I just want to give a quick recap of what we talked about last week. And also let you guys know, if you ever miss any of the uh, services, they're all posted online every single Sunday. If you go to oscconnect.com, you can follow all the podcasts and you can catch yourself right up. But last week we talked about what the good news is, ultimately what the gospel is. And we've been talking about ultimately religion says, hey, in order to be free, In order to get God, then you have to follow this regimented system. But we learned last week that the gospel says, no, it's not about a system. It's not about ten ways to get freedom. It's not about five ways to get to God. At the end of the day, the gospel is good news. So number one, we talked about the gospel forgives us. The gospel forgives us. And one of the things we said last week is that Jesus does not know how to offer partial forgiveness. So when you ask God for forgiveness, when you fall short, when you absolutely blow it, the lie of religion is this, that God partially forgives you, but he doesn't fully forgive you. He forgives you, but he's going to put a shackle on you and say, I don't trust you yet, so I'm going to give you a little leash. And once you've earned my trust back, then I'll kind of let you some slack. But no, the gospel says this, when you come to me, all that are weary and heavy burden, I fully and freely forgive you. 
And some of us, because we have subscribed to religion, because we believe that we have to do this or that to get to Jesus, we literally believe that we have to work to earn for forgiveness. So one of the things we said last week is, listen, you can't pay for something that's already been paid for. When Jesus went to the cross and he fully paid for your guilt and your shame and your sin, he said, stamped, done. It was like somebody going at the restaurant and picking up your tab. You can't pay for it once it's already been paid for. But religion says, hey, you have to live right now to be forgiven. You have to clean yourself up and then God will forgive you. The second thing we said is the gospel makes you new. Okay, so religion says, hey, I want to make a better version of you. I don't want to make you new. I just want to make a better version of you. You 2.0, right? So this is why we buy into all these self-help books. And this is why we buy into all those things. And we spend all our money on these processes. When Jesus says, you know what? I don't, I'm not interested in making a better version of you. I want to make you new. I want to make you whole. And the, the third thing that we talked about is ultimately the gospel brings us into relationship with Jesus. And that is the greatest news on the face of the earth that you can actually have an intimate relationship with the God of the universe. Like God didn't just create all this and said, I'm going to put you on the planet and then I'm just going to step back. He didn't just create all this and say, look what I've done and everybody serve me and bow down to me. He said, no, I created all this for your enjoyment and guess what? At the end of the day, I want to know you. I want to have a relationship with you. I want to connect with you. I want to talk with you. I want to walk with you. I want to be with you. So what I want to talk about this morning is simply this. Religion will tell you that the gospel is good news, but it's only good news as long as you keep up the good work, right? Now, there is this whole thing in religion that I think a lot of us, and myself included, have bought into. If we're a good person... If we just do good things, if we do good deeds and we're not as bad as our neighbor, then we're all right, right? And what this is, what the Bible would define this as, is this is called self-righteousness. Putting confidence in yourself, saying, because of my good works, because of my good deeds, because I've sinned so much, I'm making it all up by doing all these things. But here's the truth. When you begin to read the scriptures, what it does if you read it correctly, is it takes that self-righteousness that you have and it breaks down and it shows you the darkness that's really in your own heart. Have you ever thought, like, I'm never capable of doing this and then a year later you find yourself doing it and you're going, how in the world did I ever get to this place? And oftentimes it really is because of a self-righteousness like, hey, I'm good. I would never do that. I would never experience that. I would never, you know, uh, hit my wife, or I would never leave my children, or I would never do this to my boss. I would never do this. And then a year later, you find yourself doing it. Ultimately, at the end of the day, that's self-righteousness. Thinking, putting yourself up on a pedestal. Because I have done all these good deeds, God is so pleased with me, and he is so happy with me because I have a lot to show for myself. This is self-righteousness. And so today, I want to look at one of my favorite parables. And I know, I know as, as pastors, we say that a lot. This is my favorite part of the Bible. This really is. This really is one of my favorite parables in the New Testament. And Jesus is about to blow the lid off of people that cling to self-righteousness. And let me just tell you this. If you're sitting in here saying, I'm not self-righteous, you're self-righteous. <laughs> By you saying it, 
you're self-righteous. It's kind of like when you say, like, I'm not prideful, I'm humble. Well, you just made yourself prideful because you just said you're not prideful. You get what I'm saying? Every single person in here, this is going to apply to everybody. Everybody struggles with self-righteousness. Like, I'm good because I've done these good things. God is pleased with me. So today, if you have a Bible, turn with me to Luke chapter 18, verse 9. And what we're going to do, this is what I love doing this, I love preaching this way, is we're literally, this is going to be our primary text for the entire sermon. So my goal by the end, hopefully you really understand what's going on in Luke 18. If you don't remember anything that I said today, hopefully you remember the scriptures. And at the end of the day, if, if you do, then I, I succeeded, okay? Luke 18, verse 9. This is Jesus talking. He said, he also told this parable to some, watch this, who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. So let me read that again. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. So Jesus is about to blow the lid off of any self-confidence that you have in yourself. Hey, I'm good. I've been falling in line. I've been following all the rules. I've been doing good things. I've been doing good works. People are happy with me. And Jesus is talking to the people that are always talking about him but have never experienced him. So it's like these people that post scriptures on Facebook all the time, and then you meet them in real person. You're like, wait, I, I, what, what? <laughs> I'm so confused, right? So Jesus is about to talk to these people, people that are always putting their best foot forward. They're always doing the right things. They're always there to show up. They're always speaking good things, but behind the scenes, they're a mess, and they've never experienced radical grace. So here's the truth. A lot of times, this is what we get good at as Christians, and this is how this self-righteousness clothes us, is we become really, really good at learning to say the right things, right? We become really good at walking in church and learning to say the right things when somebody asks us a question or we know all the right things to post on Facebook. But when it actually comes down to a real situation that begins to unfold in our life because we've never encountered the real radical grace of God, our foundation is shaken. I say it like this all the time is, man, you can quote all the scriptures you want. You can memorize as much of the Bible as you want and read all the best quotes. But if you've never really encountered it within your heart, you're missing it. Like if you have never really experienced a scripture that says, come to me, all who are heavy burdened, I will give you rest. See, it's a nice fancy scripture to know and memorize, but have you ever encountered that? Have you experienced that? That a God loves you so much that he actually wants to carry your burdens. See, it's a different concept. Jesus is talking to the crowd that has a lot of confidence in themselves. Let me give you an example. A few years ago, when I was still living in Jennings, before we started this church, I had a house that was on piers, and um, we had replaced all the, uh, the plumbing underneath my house to PVC pipe, because it was this old, like, cast iron pipe, you know, and it always got clogged up and stuck, and so we went in there, and we ripped out all the old cast iron, except for this one pipe that was, like, my main line, it was this old cast iron pipe, and, you know, like, men, we're, we're really good at, babe, I'll get it. And like three years later, you haven't gotten it yet, you know what I mean? And, and so um, she's like, we really need to replace this pipe. Something bad's going to happen. I'm like, baby, I'm telling you, nothing's going to happen. Well, like a week later, everything explodes, okay? And so 
to my shame and my humility, I'm out there with a shovel because I'm a cheap wad and I'm not going to spend money on hiring some plumber. And so I'm out there digging in my front yard, getting this cast iron pipe, and I got my little minion with me, Eli. Okay, and at this time, he's about five years old. And the whole time I'm digging, he's like, Dad, you need to dig right. Dad, just, just shovel a little hard. I'm like, oh, my gosh. <laughs> so to my, this is what I did. I gave him the shovel, and I said, if you know how to do it, son, start digging. And he's like, okay, yeah. And so he's starting to get it all in. He's like, this is hard. I don't know how to do this. And I'm like, exactly, exactly. You're really good at giving directions. You've just never dug a hole in the ground, son. And this is the people that Jesus is about to talk to. Man, you know all the right things to do. In your head, you think you have it all figured out, right? But when it comes down to it, you really don't know what to do because you've never experienced the radical grace of God. And so this is the people that Jesus is about to address. Jesus is about to say to us today, don't put too much trust in your own abilities or your own knowledge. So let's continue the parable. We pick it up in verse 10. So two men went into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee is like a pastor. He's a leader. He's somebody that's within the church. People say this guy is holy. He's religious. He knows all the right answers. The tax collector is the sinner, okay? He is the one that has cheated and conned people out of their money. So two men went into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee standing by himself prayed thus, listen to this, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector standing far off would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but he beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. So let me put it to you this way. There's two main characters in this story. There's the Pharisee and then there's the tax collector. The Pharisee, remember, he is the leader. He is the pastor. Everybody looks up to him. He always has all the answers. And then the tax collector, He's the hated guy of the day. This would be like the IRS showing up to your house. You know what I'm talking about, right? The tax collector is the sinner. The, tax, uh, the Pharisee literally believes because of his good works, because he puts a dollar in the offering bucket, because he tells people about Jesus, because he does all these things, he really believes that he's in right standing with Jesus. And then you have this tax collector who comes in in his humility and says, God, I'm so aware of my disgust. I'm so aware of my darkness. I'm so aware of my shame. And he beats his breast and he says, God, have mercy on me. Have mercy on me. Let's continue reading what Jesus says in Luke 18, 14. He says, and this is, now this is Jesus talking. He says, I tell you, this man went down to his house. He's talking about the tax collector. This man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone, listen, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Ultimately, religion at the end of the day is going to lead to this self-righteousness. Religion says, you know what? You've worked hard. You deserve it. Lift yourself up. People need to know how hard you work. People need to know the effort and the sweat and the blood and the tears that you put in. Exalt yourself. But the gospel says, make much of Jesus and he'll exalt you. Make much of Jesus and he will lift you up. So here's what I want to talk about using this parable this morning. 
Self-righteousness leads us down two unhealthy paths. Two unhealthy paths. Number one, the path of contempt. The path of contempt. And we get this out of verse 9 when it says, He told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. So let me define the word contempt. The feeling that a person is beneath consideration, worthless, or deserves what they have coming to them. (laughs) You ever done that? That person deserves it. Man, they got themselves in that situation. If they would have spent their money better, they would not have been in that situation. I save all my money, and I'm good financially. And look where I'm at because of everything that I've done. And they wouldn't be here if they would have knew what they were doing. Anybody ever struggle with this? Like contempt, you stick your nose up at somebody else because they dug themselves into the hole and you blame them for those things? I'm just going to be real, like brutally honest with you this morning. Okay, can I tell you what drives me crazy about so many Christians today? Here's the truth. We feel because we have this great truth, it is our job to be the moral police and beat everybody up with it. Man, I I have this truth that Jesus has told me, and I need to go around and beat everybody over the head with this truth. We feel that we're called to be the moral police of the world. We engage in senseless arguments on Facebook and with people, and ultimately, at the end of the day, we turn people away from Jesus. Let me ask you a question. Since when did beating sinners up verbally with our moral truth ever lead anyone to Jesus? Since when did it do that? Should we speak the truth to people? Absolutely, but with a key element. Because listen, the truth, if it's not spoken in love, will always fall upon deaf ears. So it's learning to rather just beating somebody over the head because you feel like you're better, because you're self-righteous, because you're following God's principles and laws. Here's the truth. Lost people do lost things. And a lot of times they don't even know they're lost. Listen to Romans, what Romans 2, 4 says. This is how we should act, not with contempt. This is what the gospel says to us. Don't you see how wonderfully kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you? Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see that his kindness is intended to turn you from your sin? Don't you see this? Man, when you fall short, when you blow it, You beg God for grace and mercy, right? You beat your chest just like that tax collector. Oh God, I'm a sinner, have mercy on me. Oh God, be gracious to me. Why? Because we know that we need it. We need God's grace because we continuously fall short, right? But when we're on this path, Tempt, we fail to forget that the grace God has offered to us, and instead of offering grace to other people, we just give them wrath. We stick our noses up and said, well, I, would, I never would have done what they did. I would have never went down the path that they went because of, man, I'm good, I'm self-righteous. I love Romans 14.10, it says this, it says, why do you then judge your brother? Or why do you belittle your brother? <laughs> For we will all stand before God's judgment one day. One day we will all be equals. And listen, your morality, and listen, I'm not saying that, listen, we want to be as good as we can, okay? But listen, good works come out of understanding that God graciously loves us and has given absolutely everything for us. 
I want to follow the rules and I want to stay in line and I want to do what God's asked me to do, not because I'm fearful, but because God loves me so much. Because I realize without him, I am a filthy, rotten sinner without any hope or chance in the world. So self-righteousness leads us down this path of contempt. So instead of seeing our coworkers, instead of seeing our neighbors, instead of seeing our family members as, man, they're just lost and I have compassion on them and I want to help them. We look down with them with our noses up and we say, man, I can't believe they're here if they could only be where I'm at. And we never reach people that way, ever. Self-righteousness will lead you down the miserable path of contempt. Number two, self-righteousness will lead you down the path of blinding pride. Blinding pride. And we get this from the, in verse 11. It says, The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like the other man. Extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give all the tithes that I get. I titled this point, Blinding Pride, for a distinct reason, okay? Because when you read verse 11 out, out loud to yourself, you say to yourself, is this guy serious? Is he serious? Like, is he really praying a prayer like, God, thank you that I am holier than the other person? Like, is he, is he for real? He's for real. How could he say a prayer that is so self-centered and prideful and expect God to respond? Here's your truth, because he's blind, because he, like we talked about this last week, because he has not had the veil removed from his eyes yet, that it's not about his good works, it's not about what he does, that Jesus loves him for who he is. Therefore, he's deceived into thinking that his squeaky clean lifestyle is what saves him rather than the gospel. Listen, this is why the gospel of Jesus Christ is so attractive to me and has always been. That when I blow it, that I don't have to clean myself up to stand before Jesus. That I can come to God broken, bruised, busted up just as I am and say, God, have mercy on me. And as God pours out his grace and as God pours out his mercy on me, guess what? I want to go back and I want to please the Father as much as I can. Because he has given me a grace and a mercy that I do not deserve. I've seen this with my own children. When they do something, you ever catch your kids in the act, you come around the corner and they're like, <laughs> and they're like, oh God. And you see that look in their eyes, they're like, oh my God, I'm about to get a whooping. You know what I'm talking about? And I've seen it a few times where I look down at them and I said, you deserve a spanking right now. But you know what? I'm going to have grace on you because Jesus has grace on dad every single day. And you see this kind of look in their eyes, and they're like, oh my God, like, whoa, I just got out of that one. <laughs> right? But I've also seen it work the other way. When I give them grace, even when they deserve a spanking, it works the other way. My son Isaac, he's like, Dad, you want any water? You want any coffee? You want anything? He's like, what do you want, Dad? <laughs> Why does he do this? Why does he feel this compulsion to do this? He feels this because he just received grace. He just received this grace when he deserved a spanking. He deserved to be punished. And dad gave him something that he was not rightfully owed, but he gave it to him because he loved him. And this is what the father does to us. But you see, this Pharisee genuinely believes that God loves him more because he fasts and he tithes. 
about six months ago, Eli, <laughs> all these stories you can, you'll tell after this sermon is done, and he's not going to listen to this because by the time he's going to understand any of my sermons, hopefully this will be buried in the internet somewhere. <laughs> but Eli is, he's my prideful one, okay? Um, Eli um, he comes home from a jiu-jitsu class, and the first words out of his mouth as he comes home from this class were sitting in the living room, and he goes, Dad, fight me. I'm like, you're seven years old. So as a loving father, I grabbed him, put him in a sleeper hold until he passed out. I choked him out. I'm kidding. I didn't do that. <laughs> I literally grabbed him and I threw him on the couch. And I was like, son, you got a long way to go before you're a match for me. But you see, this is blinding pride. He thought just because he learned a few moves, he could take me. And this is how many of us look, right? You genuinely believe because you're good, because you said your prayers, because you did this, because you did that, that God will honor you. And at the end of the day, this is self-righteousness at its best. This is blinding pride. That says, because I have checked off all the boxes and I have done all these things, now God is pleased with me and he'll love me and he'll answer my prayers. But my prayer for us today is that God would scoop you off the path of blinding pride and lead you down these next two paths that I want to talk about that the gospel offers. So if self-righteousness leads us down the path of contempt and blinding pride, which healthy path does the gospel lead us down? So number one, the path of self-awareness. So this is verse 13. But the tax collector standing far off would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I love this quote by Tim Keller, and I think it goes perfectly with this verse. He says this, you are more sinful than you ever thought you were. (laughs) You are capable of things that you never thought you were capable of, but you are more loved than you ever dreamed you could be. So you are more sinful than you ever thought you were, but you are more loved than you could ever dream that you would be. And the gospel makes you aware that Jesus paid a great debt that was paid for on your behalf, and there was nothing that you could do. So the gospel leads us down this path of self-awareness of, man, I'm not good because of what I've done. I'm good because of Jesus. Jesus makes me good. Jesus makes me whole. Jesus makes me complete. I love how verse 13 says, he beats his breast. Ultimately, this is symbolism for saying, oh God, I cannot fathom a world without your mercy and your grace. So the gospel brings us to this level of self-awareness when we can look at all of our accomplishments and all the good deeds and all the things that we've done. But we also are very aware of who we really are without Jesus. We're also very aware of who we really are. Every day that I walk this earth, I I am continually aware of how messed up I can be. (laughs) Every day. I cannot tell you how many times I've sat down in the morning, grabbed a cup of coffee, put some music on, opened my Bible, and had every intention to just have this amazing time with Jesus. And then all of a sudden, all hell breaks loose. 
I'm like sitting down, somebody spills my coffee all over me, or I'm sitting down, I'm trying to read, and I have just the worst thoughts that come into my head. I'm like, where is this coming from? I'm trying to spend time with Jesus. I'm constantly aware of how sinful I can be without Christ. And I want to give us a story today pulled right out of Scripture. And this is a story of King David and a guy named Nathan who was a prophet. Now let me give you a little context before I read this, because this is a very powerful story. Um, Bathsheba was a woman. She's bathing outside of David's castle, basically, and she's naked. Okay, it says David looks out of his window and he, he says to his servants, tell me who that woman is, I want her. I want her. So the servants come up and they said, David, this is, that's Uriah's wife. It's Uriah's wife. Ultimately, if you know anything about Uriah, Uriah was one of David's mighty men. He was one of David's best friends. Okay, he says, I don't care. Uriah's off to war. He'll never figure it out. Bring me Bathsheba. So they bring her Bathsheba, and back in the day, I mean, if the king called for you, you went, okay? It didn't really matter what was going on. You didn't have a choice. And so they bring Bathsheba to him, and ultimately, he sleeps with her, he lays with her, and then he finds out, hey, the war is over, Uriah comes back, so David realized, okay, I just slept with my best friend's wife, I need to cover this up. So what does he do? He sends um, to some of his commanders, he says, listen, next time you go out to battle and you go to charge, put Uriah at the front, and when you guys go run off to charge, everybody fall back and let Uriah be by himself. That way they can slay him. So they slay him. Uriah dies. And so listen, David's committed adultery, and now he's committed murder. Okay, and so this is where we pick up in the story. This is 2 Samuel 12. And oh, and let me say this too. At this point, David is completely unrepentant of his sin. He's at a point where it's self-righteousness at his best. I'm king. I can do what I want. God anointed me. He made me king. If I wanted Bathsheba, I can do so. So at this point, he is just completely unrepentant. And so the Lord sends Nathan. And this is what happens. So the Lord sent Nathan the prophet to tell David this story. It says, there were two men in a certain town. One was rich and one was poor. The rich man owned a great many sheep and cattle. The poor man owned nothing but one lamb he had bought. He raised that little lamb and grew it up with his children. It ate from the man's own plate and drank from his own cup. This is something like your cats and dogs. You need a, This is bad news, okay? He cuddled it in his arms like a baby's daughter. This man loved this lamb, <laughs> okay? If, if Petco would have been around or PetSmart would have been around, it would have had the little, you know, furry thing on it and the dog clothes and sheep clothes and all that kind of stuff. You guys are weird. Um, one day, a guest arrived at the home of the rich man. But instead of killing an animal from his own flock or herd, he took the poor man's lamb and killed it and prepared it for his guests. Now watch this. David was furious. As surely as the Lord lives, he vowed, any man who would do such a thing deserves to die. He must repay four lambs to the poor man for the one he stole and have no pity. Then, then Nathan said to David, you are that man. You are that man. And we skip down to 2 Samuel twelve thirteen, and then it says, Then David confessed to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. 
here's the deal. This is what happens. David has this self-righteous approach. I did what I wanted. I'm king. I can do whatever I want. So God sends a prophet. And ultimately, Nathan is there to really say, you know what, David? Really deep inside, there's some darkness in you. And I want you to know you're a lot more sinful than you really think you are. And this issue that you've done, it's a lot bigger than you think it is. It's a big deal. And I want you to, I, can't, I don't have time to read it all, but this is what happens. Directly after this, we get Psalms 51. Where David, it is just this cry, this plea of repentance. He says, God, help me. God, restore unto me the joy of my salvation. Do not remove your spirit from me. Cast me not away. David begins to plea with the Lord. As soon as he becomes aware, as soon as he recognizes the depravity and the darkness of his sin, he falls before Jesus and he begins to repent. And listen, this is what the gospel should do to us. As soon as we are aware of our sin, we are instantly like that tax collector. We beat our breasts. We're like Nathan. Or we're like David that says, man, I am that sinner. Create in me a clean heart. But see, the danger of self-righteousness for many of us is when that sin gets exposed, we bury it under the rug. When that sin gets exposed, rather than dealing with it, you say, you know what, I can, I can just keep dealing. I don't want to deal with this right now because if I confess this or if I deal with this head on, it's going to be painful. It's going to be painful. Actually, it was very painful for David to deal with this. Directly after down, you skip a few verses and Nathan says, because of this, your son will die. Six days later, one of his sons dies. Not only after that, he has men that are trying to kill him and steal his... I mean, there is a litany of things that just begins to go wrong because of this one thing. But the thing that I love about David, and this is so important, because of his repentance, because he recognized who he really was apart from Christ, after all this happens, God calls him, you know what, David, that is a man after my own heart. It's a man who understands me. It's a man who connects with me. He is after my own heart. And listen, this was a man who has committed adultery and murder, and Jesus calls him a man after his own heart. I wonder why. Because he was broken and repentant of his sin. Listen, for some of you, this is all Jesus is asking this morning. You cannot remove the past. You can't go back in time. We don't get do-overs. But the gospel does give us new beginnings. We can't go back into the past and say, I wish I could change this, I wish I could do this. And listen, the enemy wants to keep you there. Man, if only I wouldn't have done this. If only this wouldn't have happened. You know what Jesus wants to bring to you today? He says, you know what? Come to me, I'll give you rest. See your sin for what it really is. But you know what self-righteousness does? He says, you know, your sin, it's not that big of a deal. And we begin to take this magnificent thing that happened in human history, the cross, and what Jesus paid for us, and we begin to belittle it and say, you know what, this sin, this issue that I have, it's not a big deal. And ultimately what Jesus did for me, it's not a big deal. Your sin is such a big deal that God sent his one and only son, Jesus. Like, it's that big of a deal. And Jesus just wants some of us to lay before and beat our breast and say, God, have mercy on me. And then begin to walk through that healing process. 
begin to walk through that process of repentance. And here's the deal. It may be painful. It may suck. It may hurt. It may be something that you don't want to go through. But I promise you the outcome is going to be so worth it. It's going to be so worth it. Jesus endured much pain and agony on the cross. But three days later, he rose. Three days later, all the pain, all the agony was gone. Jesus even gives this example in another parable. He says it's a lot like a woman giving birth. Man, in the middle of giving birth, that woman is in some serious pain, right? It sucks. It's agonizing. It's not pleasant. It's not beautiful. <laughs> but when it's all over and that, lady, that baby is laying on your breast, it was all worth it, right? It was like all of a sudden, all the pain, all the agony that you endured, gone. The nine months of your back hurting and your husband not rubbing your feet (laughs) and doing all those things. It was all worth it. See, the gospel makes you aware of your sin, which leads you to repentance. Which leads you to repentance. Religion wants to tell you, you know what? Just fall in line. Just do these things. Your sin, it's not that big of a deal. Just keep up appearances. And this is why so many of us never get freedom. Because we're so concerned about what people think about us. And listen, at the end of the day, (laughs) at the end of the day, when you die and stand before Jesus, the only thing that's going to matter is what Jesus thinks of you. And so many of us are so stricken by the fear of man and what other people are going to think. We rob ourselves of true freedom. We rob ourselves of living a life of freedom and joy and peace. So the second path, the first path that the the gospel leads us down is the path of self-awareness, which ultimately leads us to repentance. The second path is the path of humility. So verse 14 puts it this way. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified. He's speaking of the tax collector. Rather than the other, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. C.S. Lewis put it this way, and I think it's the best way to describe gospel humility. And he put it this way He says, Humility is not thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. Well, man, I'm just, I'm this, I'm that. that. And that's what people, I think a lot of times when we hear this, when you hear this coming out of my mouth, you think humility is just, you know what, I'm nothing. God paid for me. I'm just, I'm not, look, you are extremely valuable. So when I say like, it's not about your works, I'm, I'm talking about, it's not about your merit. It's not about your performance. I'm not saying that you're not, you are so valuable that God sent his one and only son. You're so valuable that God knew that at this very moment you would blow it and he still sent Jesus. That's how valuable you are. Some of you got to wrap that in your head. I've shared, I think I shared on this on first Wednesday and even when I think of this, it blows my own mind, okay? But God has the ability to step outside of time. If time is linear, past, present, and future, God is not constricted by time. So he has the ability to remove himself from the the timeline, meaning this. God forgives you of past, present, and future sins. So the sins that you haven't even committed yet, if you were alive in Christ, he already forgives you. This is huge. So that sin that you were just toiling over, 
that is ridding you with guilt and shame. God already forgave you of it if you are alive in Christ. See, humility is not thinking less of yourself. I'm nothing. It's thinking of yourself less. It's putting your mind and your focus on Jesus. It's putting your mind and your focus on the people around you. See, God says those who humble themselves, he will exalt them. But those who exalt themselves will be humbled by this world. I can't help but to think about that Johnny Cash song, sooner or later God will cut you down. Like, man, if you are so concerned about what people think about you right now, you got to get your glory, your fame right now. Here's the deal. You'll get it here in this world, but then there's an eternity that you need to think about. You'll get your 70 years of glory and honor and fame and being lifted high. But your life is like this and in eternity is like this. So the goal of, of us understanding this is, man, I want to be humble. I want to think of myself less. Humility can only come by understanding who we really are apart from Christ. So my prayer for us this morning as I wrap all this up is that God would free us from this sin of self-righteousness. That we would get off of the path of contempt where we stick our noses up at other people and say, man, I'm better because of that. Where we would get off the path of blinding pride and we would walk down these two paths of self-awareness without Christ, man, I'm nothing. And we would walk down this path of humility. See, Jesus is better than religion. Jesus is greater than religion. But religion will keep you at this place of just self-righteousness. Fall in the line, boy. <laughs> walk the straight and narrow. Now listen, I'm not saying all these things are bad. But listen, I want to walk the straight and narrow path because I want to. Not because I feel like I'm forced to. I want to do the right thing because I know that i got a father behind me who's supporting me and loves me. And if I fall down a few times, he's not like hitting me over the head with a gavel. He's saying, no, get back up, I'll help you. Listen, that's the kind of God we serve. Some of it, we epically blow it sometimes. We surprise ourselves. I'm like, oh my, what have I done? Listen, God's never caught off guard and he's never surprised. Let me close it with this. And I, I used an example this last week and I just can't think of a better one. When you take your sin and you say, you know what? I just have a hard time with God really forgiving me of what I've done. Think of this. Jesus hanged bloody and naked on a cross, highly ashamed and embarrassed. And as all these people are shouting at him, sinning in their blasphemy and self-righteousness, he hangs his head and he says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Man, if God can forgive those people who in the moment of his death, he can forgive you for whatever you've done. <laughs> that is the power of the gospel. There's nothing that you can do. Nothing that you can do that will ever separate you from the love of Christ. There is nothing that you could ever do that would take you down a path where Jesus would say, I don't want you anymore. 
You know the parable of when the lost sheep and the 99? Like Jesus goes after the one that is lost. He leaves the crowd for a moment. I want that one because he's lost and I'm willing to do whatever it takes to get him back. 